I think you're really going to like this episode of STEM, Insider Tips for Greenhouse Pros, because it's part two of a two-part episode and the first part generated hundreds of downloads. We're once again joined by Ball Horticultural's Senior Technical and Research Manager, Dr. Will Healy, who I referred to in episode 21, is one of the most experienced and knowledgeable experts in all things greenhouse production. And that is so true. Our topic continues, watering and water management. These two episodes work best in tandem, so try to listen to part one, the language of watering, before jumping into this one. In the first part, which you can find on your favorite podcast player or linked in the show notes for this episode, Dr. Healy delved into the importance of speaking the same language of watering throughout your company and qualitative and quantitative ways to teach water management so that accuracy and efficiency can be achieved. This episode takes it to the next level, getting into specific plant demands, how to determine wet-dry targets, how to optimize any greenhouse for water management, and even suggests an inexpensive gift for all of your production team members. So gather your team again, grab a notebook, and let's talk watering, the rest of the story. So in our previous episode with Dr. Will Healy, we spent 40 minutes or so defining the language of watering and going over, I guess what I would consider a 101 level horticultural course on water management, truly for the water, the person holding the hose. And we talked about Will's five levels of watering, um, some common challenges to overcome effects of poor watering, which was critical. And, and we got into a little bit about who on the team across your organization needs to learn the language and why. So be sure to listen to the language of watering episode before jumping into this one, because they definitely work best in tandem. This one does get much more technical and is really um, targeting and designed for the management level, the folks that are sort of instructing the people that are doing the day-to-day watering. And you'll, you'll find a link to the previous episode in the show notes. So, Will, welcome back to STEM. Well, thank you very much for um, having me talk about one of the topics that I really find to be the most interesting. Of course, I, that's why I talk about it. Um, but also because it's so critical to the business. Um, you know, when we think about watering, um, it really impacts so much of what we're doing that you really want to um, understand it and take it apart from a technical standpoint, but also an operational um, standpoint. So when I talk about sort of the two different audiences for these two different episodes, these two different episodes, there's a person that's actually doing the day-to-day watering, and then there's the the person who's making the decisions to instruct that person. Am I am I getting that right? Correct. Yeah, because when you think about um, the watering process from beginning to end and its impact in plant growth, it's really, we talked about it as the watering pyramid, where the first level of that pyramid is the language of watering, so that everyone needs to understand. So we speak a common language, so we don't have half the people speaking Swahili and the other half speaking English, and then someone else over there speaking, um, you know, Mandarin and someone else speaking um, <clears throat> Taiwanese and someone else um, speaking Japanese, it's all kind of related, but not really the same. So, you know, we, we want to make sure that everyone is speaking the same language. 
Um, but what's also important is not just that you speak the same language, but that you also have the same goals. That's the next level of the pyramid that we're going to talk about. Um, we touched on it last time of you know knowing what is the dry target, what's the wet target, which is the next level. You know how wet do you want to be? Then you want to look at you know how how is the um, plant growth, and then finally the climate itself. So really, this episode is going to focus on those higher levels, um, which not everyone needs to know about, because. You know, we touched on the issue of um, labor in our industry and scalability as we scale up and down um, through the season. We need a lot of people as we go into the middle of the spring. And then early spring, we don't need so many. Late spring, we don't need. So what do you do with these people? Um, but if we can train them to just go out and water correctly, um, apply the water, hit the right dry and wet targets, then we can bring just about anyone in, train them very quickly, and be successful. So this episode, I really want to focus on helping you understand how to set the dry targets, the wet targets, how the environment impacts the drying out, because you need to be able to predict, is this going to be dry today? Or is this going to be dry tomorrow? Or is it going to be dry three days from now? There's a very easy way to predict those um, values, uh, because Otherwise, we all suffer from what I refer to as PWS, um, which is paranoid watering syndrome, <laughs> which when in doubt, you water. So that's kind of what we want to do um, in, during this podcast. Okay, which, which makes a lot of sense. And I know that you, know, you had talked in the last episode that the training, the language of watering will take about an hour, 30 minutes yep. of looking at the different water levels, 30 minutes of hands-on. Um, that's great. I think that 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 that'll help that helps us sort of get our, our head around um, the importance of watering um, and you talked a little bit about hitting these setting and hitting targets so when you talk about when and how much to water this it sounds like a huge topic um, can you tell us a little bit about what, what you mean by that and, and a little dig into setting and hitting those targets a little bit more and then um, maybe leading up to the fact that each crop probably has its own sort of needs um, in the greenhouse when it comes to watering. Well, first of all, Bill, I want to dispel um, a common belief. You know, as we make growing plants too hard, we make it complicated. We, we make it seem like you're building um, a complex warship when in reality, they're plants. You have some plants like cacti and succulent that they like to be dry. You have plants that sit in water, water lilies. They like to be wet. But the majority of our plants that we deal with, they like to go through a cycle of wet to dry. So let's talk, you know, I think we need to be um, talking about making sure that plants go through just a normal wet dry cycle. Um, you know, your question of how do you, how do you go and set those targets is kind of an important um, factor in the whole discussion because um, it's not that complicated. You know, we talked about the, the levels one through five, and in the determining levels one through five, remember that level five was saturated. So if you have water plants, you probably want them to be saturated. Um, you have level one, which is there is no water. Well, clearly no plant survives at level one. So you probably need to be at least at a level two moisture. 
And then at level two, there's still water present in the soil, so the plant can survive. And basically, that's going to be a critical number, getting it to a level two. Um, when we take a look at um, how wet should they be, um, you, since you don't want to be at a level five, you want to take it up to a level four. So what is a level four? Well, level four is when there is a drip out of, this, out of a container, out of a pot, out of a tray. You know, when we talked about establishing the levels one through five, level five, you put the soil in your hand and water freely drips out of that soil. Level four is, was when you basically had the soil and a little bit of a squeeze caused water to freely start dripping out of it. So, you know, when we think about watering plants, we probably want to water them up to a level four so that you just have a drip coming out. That means there's free water that's leaving the soil. And we want to dry them back to a level two. Now, sounds easy, doesn't it, Bill? I mean, I say <laughs> dry it down to a level two and water it up to a level four. But the problem is, is that means something to everybody a little bit differently. Um, so what you really want to um, go towards is where we, we go from a qualitative level one through five to talking about it in a quantitative, put a value to it. So this is where we go and we put a actual number where we say that um, when the tray is reaching a level two, which if you take a pot and say you pull the plant out of the pot and you look at the soil and the soil is a light brown, that there's maybe a little bit of darker brown on the bottom, but the top of the pot is um, light brown. You can basically, if you were to go and, and squeeze as hard as you can to some of the soil out of the bottom, you should be able to squeeze at least a drop out of there or some water, that's a level um, three on the bottom, but the top would be a level two. So that will help you understand, okay, we're probably at a point where we need to be watering. So then if you were to weigh that plant, you know that that is the weight that when the, there's, the water has all been removed from, that, um, <clears throat> from the plant or from the soil so that now it's now time to water. Then when you go and water it back up, so that it just drips, so you get one nice drip out of it, um, that now is, of course, a level four, and you put a weight to that. So that kind of gives you the dry and wet weight. So, Chris, Bill, you're sitting there thinking, okay, I can, I can kind of see that. I can understand that, but am I going to be walking around killing plants by popping them out of the pot and um, pulling them out and squeezing them and everything? Well, no, because what you do is, is that you will, if you... Basically, let's use a poinsettia crop because, of course, it's we're recording this in December and everyone's thinking about poinsettias. But you, the same would be true in the spring with a four-inch caliber koa is that if you go and you start out from the very beginning when there's not a lot of plant growth on there and weigh it, you know that the soil, the pot, <clears throat> has a specific weight when it's dried down. So that's your level that you know is a level two. Then you water it and that's a level four. The difference between it is how much water that pot can hold. So if we say that it dried down to, let's just say the pot dried down to um, 300 grams, and you, when you watered it, it was up to um, 500 grams, that means there's 200 grams of water in that pot. So 
pretty much regardless of whether the plant is ready to sell or the plant was just potted, that soil can hold 200 grams. So what you would do is basically when you went to water, you'd say, okay, well, we added 200 grams. And if you added 200 grams, how much water do you need to lose, Bill? 200 grams to get back exactly. down to that level. Correct. When, of course, the, as the plant gets bigger and bigger, the top will add more weight. So when you start, it might be you need to dry it down to 300 grams and, up to, and then water it up to 500 grams. But then fast forward, when you go to sell it, it might be that um, it is basically dried down to, say, 400 grams because it's 200 grams worth of plant on the top. And that means you need to water it up to... 700 or 700 700. there we go so you have a different a total difference of 200 between the dry and the wet and the wet right because that's how much water is in the pot mm. so you know think of it in some ways like a bank account when you put the money in the money disappears and then you got to put more money back in, but you can only put so much money in it. The piggy bank only holds so much. So um, just when we think about what we're trying to do here, that's what really what we're trying to do. We're trying to um, basically create, know that we need to dry it back down to a level two, which we can set a value to. We can make it quantitative. Then you wet it up to a specific water to a specific point, which we know what that is. And then we know that, okay, we have now taken it through the full um, cycle of two through five or two through four. Now, from a practical standpoint, let's just talk about that in a second. The most important time in the life of a plant is from the time that you sow, stick, or transplant a plant until you've got roots to the bottom of the container. That's the most critical time. Now, the reason for that is that getting roots to the bottom of the container is your job as a grower. Why do you want roots to the bottom? Well, for a lot of reasons. When you have roots to the bottom of a container, you end up with a pad of roots. Think of it as kind of like a, a plug of roots at the bottom. So when you pull it out, your customer pulls it out of the, out of the cell or out of the pack or out of the pot, what happens is, is that you can pull it out as a plug, as a block of soil, because you're, you're lifting from the bottom straight up. Can you picture that, Bill? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, because the alternative, which is unfortunately what happens, is we water incorrectly and we end up with roots that are just right at the surface and they grow horizontally circling the top. When you pull that, when you pull that out, what you end up with is, is a spring because it basically uncoils as you pull it out of the pot because there's nothing pulling from have any roots in it and you basically got a bare root plant you pull it out and you got plant with roots no soil so go ahead i was gonna say that that sort of leads me to to two questions which is i guess why not just let roots form at the top of the pot i mean the roots or right. secondly is how you know how you know growers always talk about optimal root growth how do they get roots to the bottom of that container well you know that's and that's a good good question because um, you know when you get spring roots which is roots that are growing at the top what happens is um, roots are growing up there why well there's water up there you know roots are not particularly aggressive 
items unless you make them. You got to make roots work. Um, if you just hit, provide nice uniform water just at the top, and that's why we talk about when we water, we want to get a drop out of the bottom during this early stage of development because we want to draw the roots down through the container. So you want to basically, um, when you plant it, you sow or you stick a cutting um, or a plant into a container, the roots are, are naturally all going to be at the top if you just only water the top. If you if you go and you put um, you put on enough water so that they root out, and then you slowly start the bottom of the container, and then make sure that you dry it back because the top will dry out. If the bottom's wet, where are the roots going to go? If the top's dry and the roots and the bottom of the container is wet, which way are the roots going to go? Straight down to the bottom. Correct. Yeah. Which is what your job is. If you, if it's all you did was just keep piddling water on the top, they're not going to go because it's going to be too dry on the bottom. So this is why it's very important when you look at a container, you have to think about it as a three-dimensional unit. There's so when you water, you want to draw the roots down through the use of um, water. Think of it as you're training the root system to grow where you, as the grower, want it to go. So you want to make and so when you're instructing your your um, watermen, your water people out there, your irrigators, um, you want to make sure that you're looking at the containers and seeing are they putting enough water so that they're drawing the roots down. Conversely, you don't want it so wet. That's why we don't want to go early in development to a level five moisture so that you've got a lot of water on the bottom, the perched water table where you've got this water sitting at the bottom. Because if you've got a lot of water on the bottom, do roots grow into the water? No. no. They, 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 you know, these, aren't, these aren't, unless you've got water lilies out there, they're not water plants. So you're not going to end up with roots growing into the water. You're going to basically, they need air. Because remember, fish grow in water, roots grow in air. So we need to make sure that there's plenty of air there at the bottom of the container so that the roots can then develop. So, and that makes sense. You can sort of envision it with the lighter... Lighter soil at the top, darker soil at the bottom, and that's when you pull that plant out of the pot and you see those white roots going straight down. Right. Um, yeah, and, and if water makes sense, you're training. So, and so if you um, download the PowerPoint presentation that uh, Bill's going to tell you about um, where to get it, there's a very nice um, set of pictures in there um, that basically show that as you get drier, the more roots you will develop. So it's a real visual, you can get better rooting, especially early on. Um, and this, and I keep stressing this early development, those first two, three weeks after you plant or sow or um, stick a cutting, they're the most critical in getting a root ball all the way to the bottom. Because once you've got roots to the bottom, just about anyone can water plants. I mean, Bill, you even watered plants, didn't you, at one time in your life? Absolutely. I've watered them all sorts of different ways, the way the boss wanted us to and the way opportunistic ways that we figured out to be lazy about it. And I yeah, still water the plants on my patio. So. Right. Well, and, and the, the reason why you could be successful on your patio um, is the fact that you've got roots to the bottom of the container. And is all you have to do is get that that pot of that container of watering, the watering can, and you just dump it on. Yep. Take it Until up it to drips a out the bottom. Yeah. And it could drip a lot out the bottom. And that's because the grower who you bought those from developed a root system that went to the bottom of the container. 
Um, and so that that ensures you as a consumer were successful. Now, if they had given you plants that were barely rooted, well, you probably would have failed because you would have made a sloppy swamp at the bottom of the pot and the plant would have never rooted down and then they would dry out and it would just be a bad situation. No, it's true. And I've definitely seen that happen too. So I want to take maybe like just like a half step back and maybe, I don't know, I don't know if there's a dumb question or just sort of a, a question that I, I'm, I try to figure out sometimes. You know, you go into a greenhouse, there's a lot of humidity in a greenhouse when it's closed up. Um, yet they've got to water consistently. So how, how do these pots and trays lose water, I guess? Okay, well, you know, if you sit down and think about um, how do you lose water? Water moves from a high concentration to a low concentration. It, it moves from wet to dry. That's the way water moves. So you basically have water movement um, from where it's wet to where it's dry. So if you've got this really high relative humidity in the greenhouse, you're not gonna move any water. You know, and water movement is measured um, from a scientific standpoint as a combination of evaporation plus transpiration. Evaporation is what's coming off of the soil. Transpiration is what's coming off of and out of the plant. So when you have small plants, there's not very much transpiration, but there is a lot of evaporation, a lot of water loss off the soil. So, so how do you increase water loss? Well, if you have a, the ability to do a dehumidification cycle. So if you have a um, fog, you're at 100% relative humidity. There's no water moving. But if you have no fog, you probably could be at a 90, 95%. So there's still 5% because the relative humidity is the, a relative amount of water that's in the air. Does that make sense, Bill? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so if you think about it as if my humidity is 60%, I have 40% more water I can put in the air before it won't move anymore. So what I want to do, if I've got 90% relative humidity, I still got 10%. You know, let's not be looking at half glass, glass half empty. Let's or half full, let's look at it as where's our opportunity. Our opportunity is still to lose water. So how do you get more water loss? You either do a dehumidification cycle, which is you basically turn the heat on because warm air basically loses, holds more water than cold air. So you put a little bit of heat. We're not talking about taking it up 10 to 15 degrees. You know, five degrees might be enough. So you basically add a little bit of heat to the greenhouse so that you start sucking water out of the container and out of the plant. And then you let that heat rise to the top, to the high, to the, hopefully you've got um, ridge vents. We'll talk about alternatives if you don't. But if you that rise it to the um, ridge vent, because of course we all know heat rises, and then you crack the vent just a little bit. Think of your greenhouse as a nothing more than a chimney. You know when you have a fire in your fireplace and you get a draft, you open up the, the um, damper just a little bit, get a little bit of heat going, get that heat rising, and that heat pulls all the smoke up out of the greenhouse. The same thing is happening, well, not out of your greenhouse, out of your um, fireplace. Um, think of it as the same thing with your greenhouse. If you have a um, some heat, so it's, it's the heat's rising, that heat is got a lot of water in it, right? Mm -hmm. 
And then if you put a little bit of a crack in your ridge vent, you're basically going to draw that water out. If you basically open the vent too far, what happens is you get a cold draft come back down, and then you basically you lose the draft. So the whole purpose of um, this is trying to get it a, bit, a little bit of a draft. So what about those folks in a Quonset greenhouse bill? What do they do? They don't have a ridge vent. Well, you've got an alternative is, is that if you can put on your horizontal airflow fans so that you're moving air over the crop. And of course, big question is, how do I know that I'm moving air? Well, the flitter, the movement of leaves is a good indication. Or what I've seen people do is that they've taken um, string, just a very fine thread or a string and hang that just above the crop to see, is it moving? You don't have to have you know gale force breezes in your greenhouse, because all you have to do is have a little bit of air movement over the canopy, which will then basically keep that air stirred so that you don't end up with 100% relative humidity at the soil line or at the plant height. Because if you can even have 90% at the soil or at the plant, you will lose water. Because it's all about going from where there's a lot of water, soil and plants, to where there's not very much water, the air surrounding them. So that's how we move water out of the plants. Let's get some numbers so that they make sense. If you were to take a, a pot or container, and you were, um, we usually use it with a, a flat, <clears throat> um, say a plug flat. We take a plug flat and we measure the water loss overnight. So we measure it at four o'clock in the afternoon and then come back again the next morning at seven, eight o'clock and measure how much water did we lose overnight? If you're losing 200 grams, you are on the money. If you start losing 300, 400, that's a lot of water. Could be a good thing if you're making that decision, but it, it, that's a lot of water to be losing overnight. Um, if you are losing 100 grams, you're probably in the ball game. If you're losing 50 grams or less, you're not moving, you're not losing any water. So you need to be looking at that and saying, am I losing enough water at night? Now, why do we worry about water at night? Well, in the spring, Bill, which is longer, the day period or the night period? Night. Exactly. So therefore, if you want to say, when do I want to drive the most water loss, you want to drive it at night. At night. And Makes when sense. is the time that we normally don't worry about? <laughs> overnight. Well, overnight. But night is the most critical for water loss. And so we really need to focus on that water loss overnight because it really helps us um, basically get the water out of the pots. That's that evaporation plus transportation equals water loss in the plants. Because um, remember that water loss within a container is sigmoidal, okay? Big word, everyone's probably heard it, they can't remember. Think of it as basically it is an, kind of a, um, a curve that starts out um, fairly slow, then there's a rapid decline, and then it's slowed down again. So it's basically slow, fast, sl and then slow. So there's a uh, what they call the linear loss. There's the flat at the top, and that would be like at level five. When you have a perched water table, you're not going to lose very much water because that water is on the bottom of the container where it doesn't expose to air. So it's very hard to get rid of that water. That water has to move from the bottom of the container up to the surface, 
or into the plant and then be moved out of the out of the um, the plant. So if you have water on the bottom, that's hard to get rid of. So that's why we really want to minimize the amount of water that we have in the bottom of the container, which occurs at a level five. That's very slow water loss. Then there's a very linear water loss, and that linear water loss is all due to the relative humidity. So if you have a low relative humidity, the water loss is very fast, so it drops fast. Growers see that in the summer when all of a sudden they've got a lot of ventilation and a lot of um, you know, high temperatures and low relative humidity, 40-50% relative humidity, you're losing a lot of water very fast. If you have a very high relative humidity, say January, December, um, when all of a sudden it's cool, you're not putting a lot of heat in there, and so that what happens is it's very slow, so that the, the linear phase is very, very long. Mm -hmm. And then when you get down to the dry, it takes a long time to get very, very dry. But So this linear phase is where we're trying to keep the crop. And if you can actually see it if you were to go and graph the moisture levels one through five on the y-axis and then the weight um, on the x-axis basically what you would see is that you dropping down um, over time is really a function of how what is the relative humidity within that greenhouse how much air movement do you have we've we've seen where we've just taken the horizontal airflow fans and drop them from very high. We have one greenhouse which had uh, five meter, about 15 foot gutters, and the fans were at the gutter. And we were losing about 25 grams um, overnight. We went and we dropped those down four feet, and suddenly we went and we started moving 100 grams just because we were moving the air over the plants. So, um, you know, there's a number of ways that we can increase the water loss so we can increase the. Um, how fast we go from a level four down to a level two. Because that's really, as we talked about the last time, the job is not to water. <laughs> the job is to dry out. And so this is a tool that you can use, this whole idea of how do we dry these crops out? What tools do we have? The humidification cycles, airflow, warming up the greenhouse, purging the greenhouse. There's a number of things we can do to get rid of that water. And that's what the grower's job is. How do I get rid of water? And get rid of water. Yeah. Go ahead. I was saying especially. Yeah. <laughs> because if you get rid of water, a lot of good things happen. Well, and especially during, I mean, what you call this critical time between the planting and the roots sort of driving to the bottom of the pot is really, you know, kind of kind of what it what we're talking about. It's really where the rubber hits the road is in that root development and creating a ideal root system. Um, how can a grower, I guess, how can you look at that crop or look at that plant when you pull it out of the pot and tell if it has a happy root system if you're, you know, if you're doing a good job in, in creating that environment? Well, if you think about it, um, a happy root system is a root system that you've trained to grow. So if you've got a well-branched root system, you've got a fuzzy root system, probably the best indicator crop of a happy root is in pansies, pansies, violas, because mm -hmm. if you keep them dry, the roots are really fuzzy. And what that fuzz is, is it's the root hairs that are on the surface of the, um, 
of the root tip. And as the root tip develops, if it need, if it's trying to find water, how does, how does a plant take up water? Well, it increases the surface area of the root system. More root surface, more water uptake. So therefore, a happy root is a lot of roots and a lot of root tips. And so you want to look for fuzzy roots. You want to look for branched roots. You want to look for lots of roots. That's a happy root system um, because it's basically searching for water. Conversely, if you've got what are called lazy roots, Think of them as that teenager laying on the couch waiting for dinner to be served. Um, yeah, anyone that's got teenagers or had them understand that concept. Um, they're just laying around waiting for somebody to do something for them. Those are lazy roots, um, and they're basically they don't. There's not very many of them because everything they need is sitting there right there within arm's reach. There's a lot of water, a lot of fertilizer, a lot of everything they need. So why 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 bother? So that's how we tell whether we've got happy roots. We don't have to do, you know, complicated. Just pull pull the pot out and look. Do you got roots on the bottom of the container? Check. Happy roots. If you got roots only halfway down, uh, is that good or is that bad? It's probably bad. If you got only got roots wrapping on the surface, mm, you've got trouble because once they start wrapping at the top, it's virtually impossible to get roots to go down. Because they're going horizontal, they're not going to go vertical. So if I'm a grower and I pull out a plant and the ro the roots are halfway down or circling on the top, is is there still time to save that crop? Um, it's very tricky. What you have to do is you have to um, go. You have to have tough love, and tough love is you have to water them so that they you get water to the bottom. You know you don't want to level five, but you want to you know make sure that you've got a drip out of the bottom. That's level four. And then you have to control yourself and not water them again until they've dried back to a level two. How do you know they're a level two? Well, the surface is going to tan out on you. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the old statement, I don't want to see any tan plants, I don't want to see any dry plants, basically creates this scenario. You have to let them dry, okay? That will then force the roots down because you're wet on the bottom and dry on the top. That forces them down. Now, of course, growers then always come up to me and say, but, 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 what about the edges? Well, you know, let's, let's be realistic because we got to be, you know, realistic on what's going on. The edges of a, of a bench, the edges of trays, the edges dry out faster than the middle. Now, we've talked about evapotranspiration airflow. And now, Bill, I think it's probably pretty clear. Why do the edges dry out first? Where the air is flowing the most. Exactly. So therefore, it only makes sense that you may need to water the edges only. Mm. So it wouldn't be because the big mistake a lot of growers make, especially when I see that they've got a lot of top growth, they've got a lot of those horizontal roots at the top, is because the folks that are watering have been instructed that when you see the edges dry out, water the bench. Mm -hmm. Well, what that means is that the middle of the bench is perpetually at a level four or five, whereas the edges do a very nice, hopefully, two four. Mm -hmm. And consequently, you probably have got reasonably good roots on the edge, but you've got absolutely miserable roots in the middle. 
because they go and they're watering the whole bench when they really need to go spot water, edge water. Um, you know, there's a number of different terminologies that we use in the industry to, you know, go around and hit the edges. Mm-hmm. And when you hit the edges, you need to only hit the edges. You know, what a lot of growers end up doing is that they overwater in the sense that they put, a, you know, they take a giant nozzle and they've got, you know, just one pot along the edge and they flood out the whole flat. Right. You know, walk fast. <laughs> you know, and, that's the... And do the edges. And do the edges. You know, walk fast. It's kind of, you know, walking fast twice it's probably better than walking once because at the end of the day, you want to have all of your um, waterers pull out their pedometers. That's the right word, right, Bill? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And basically look at those pedometers and basically find out, did they walk 10,000, 15,000, 20,000, 25,000 steps? How many steps is normal? Because they need to be out there walking. That's the job. Walking, checking, walking, checking, walking, watering, walking, checking. Um, it's not watering, 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 but it's watering and checking and watering and checking. And checking can be done fast so they could really rack up the steps. So you really need to, um, from a management standpoint, you need to have a metric, a KPI of what do you expect your employees to be doing. And, you know, because if you set expectations on what they need to be doing, what is the dry target? What's the wet target? Are they recording when they are watering? Okay, I made a watering decision to water today. What was that weight when you made that decision? Put it on a graph. Write it down. <clears throat> when you're done watering, you watered it to a specific weight. Write it down. Then you as management can come back and see, are they hitting the dry targets all the time? Are they hitting the wet targets all the time? How long is it taking to go from a wet target back down to a dry target? And that is very critical. A number, you know, probably the nicest study we've done is where we looked at Gerbera. Gerbera is that crop that everyone is challenged with because it's got gnarl in it. It gets these gnarly leaves and truly ugly plants. What causes gnarly? Well, you know, after you know, probably 30 years of guessing, we, I think we finally have got the, the answer, which I won't bore you with the science of it, which is really cool. But it basically boils down, took too, too many days to go from the wet target to the dry target. Simple as that. If you go from wet target to a dry target in one day, you'll see no gnarl. Two days, no gnarl. Three days, well, maybe four days, pretty much guaranteed for young plants. Five days from wet to dry, you got gnarl. So it's the days to the dry target. Research that was done many years ago looking at pythium and carnation, cut flower carnations, showed that if you watered every five days, you never saw pythium problems and fusarium problems. If you watered every two weeks, which was not uncommon um, in ground beds, you probably saw a pretty good amount of it. If you watered once a month, guaranteed pythium and fusarium problems. So days from wet to dry, from the wet target to the dry target, is an important measurement from a management standpoint. 
makes sense. I, I, I get that. And I think that any most growers that have spent time in a greenhouse have seen some of these challenges that come when there is too long of a period in the drying down stage. So now that, that makes a lot of sense. So I guess I really only have a couple more questions before sure. we wrap this up. One of them is, do you, do you have a preferred watering method? You know, there's boom watering, hand watering, drip irrigation. There's all sorts of different ways to get water to the plant. Do, you know, you've been in hundreds, thousands of greenhouses. Do you have a preferred watering method? And is it different between young plants and, you know, growing a finished crop? Um, you know, you can build a house with a hammer. You know, one method, you can build a house with a hammer, but it sure helps when you got more tools um, and you use the right tool for the right job. So, you know, I'm a firm believer that um, every operation has some specific tools that they need and they need to use. You know, from a labor standpoint, boom water, boom watering, drip watering, overhead watering, all of those are great watering tools that save a lot of labor, but they have to be tied to pretty intense management. Hand watering is probably one of the um, best ways and worst ways to water. The best way because you are personally looking and making decisions as you go. The worst way is if you don't make those decisions, you could have a disaster in short order. So I think that the best method is not you know, which, which tool do you use? But it's really in your management strategy of what are you trying to achieve? What are your objectives? Is your objective labor saving? Is your objective um, more customized um, treatments? You know, what is the objective you're trying to achieve? And then apply the right tools to that particular objective, to that particular crop, to that particular scenario. Because there isn't, I think, a single right way. Um, but from a management standpoint, there it's pretty much, you know, I think, you know, that belief that every plant is different. Eh, not really. Plants are plants. Let's not overthink it. And we just need to use the right tool to achieve the right end result. Okay, that's great, because I guarantee that the uh, listeners to STEM are growers of all different shapes and sizes with all different watering methods. And so it's really just a matter of looking at looking at the goal, looking at what, what you want to happen with that plant and making sure that you have probably multiple tools to uh, to get the proper water to to that crop. Right. Because I think probably the, the most shocking thing that I finally discovered one day um, after um, starting to implement this water by weight around the world um, and, you know, having watering described in many different languages using many different tools in phenomenally variety variety of greenhouses and crops and you know just all the different is that a well-run greenhouse with high quality plants loses 200 grams of water a night okay gives a good benchmark yeah i mean i i it was just like it just blew me away when when we came to this and then conversely Plant growers that struggled, tip abortion, disease problems, you know, pythium problems, um, botrytis, and all these problems. These were the folks that were moving twenty-five to fifty grams of water a night. Okay. And and it's just like, wow, <laughs> so many different ways to screw it up, 
and they all could become, you know, they all start focusing back on a common denominator of, did you move very much water last night? Because that should be the question, not how are you doing, but how much water did you lose last night? Should be the question every manager should ask their growers every single day, because that's the behavior you're trying to drive. That's awesome. So that that's a great way to kind of wrap up the second part of our water management topic. We just really spent a lot of time talking about wet, dry targets and plant demands and climate requirements. Um, following up on that first episode that really dug into the, the basics, the language of watering. And I know that our listeners are going to have a lot to think about as they took a, as they take a close look at this, you know, super critical activity within their greenhouse. So Dr. Healy, what have we missed? Is there anything else you want to add before we close the books on watering? Just go out and try, you know, get a scale, give everybody a scale and tell them to just go out there and just start weighing it. Because if you, if they start weighing it, they realize their consequences to their, to their behavior. And if they understand the consequences of their behavior, you have a chance of changing the behavior. So that I would give everybody a Christmas present of a scale and tell them, get out there and just weigh the plants and see what's happening. Excellent advice. And after we, uh, after we wrap this up, I'll, you know, maybe we can get together and find uh, a good scale or two um, that's easy to order. And I'll put a link to those in the show notes um, just so that everybody can, can jump online and grab a, grab a scale as a Christmas gift. I love that idea. Yep. So I guess last but not least, how can STEM listeners get in touch with you if they have additional questions on the management of the watering process or any specifics related to uh, watering in the, in their operation? Okay. Well, that's, um, I do. I am a traveler, so I travel quite extensively, and so trying to get hold of me by phone can be really challenging. Um, so the best way to do it is to get hold of me through my email, wheely, w-h-e-a-l-y, at ballhort.com. Um, and of course, I really encourage you that if you had a question and you don't hear get an answer within 24 hours, could you please just you know give me a little nudge to remind me that that your email probably slid off while I was sleeping somewhere on the other side of the world um, and that I'll try to get back to it as quickly as I possibly can. So by all means, um, you know, we're concerned about your success. So basically um, send us an email and let's go for it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Will, I guess for your willingness to dive deep into this topic. I know it's one that, that you spend a lot of time working on um, with growers around the world. And I do appreciate that you've helped our listeners um, I guess figure out the the strategies to get it right because at the end of the day it's about being more efficient, reducing your costs, but producing the highest quality crop with the happiest roots um, that we can. So again, thank you so much for spending two full episodes on on one topic. Um, but I definitely think that uh, you've given the listeners a ton to think about and a ton of actionable ideas to implement in their operation. Thanks, Bill. Thanks so much for listening to STEM, insider tips for greenhouse pros. And special thanks for helping us surpass 5,000 downloads in November of 2018. If you enjoy this podcast, please take a minute to give it a good rating on your podcast player, or better yet, write a quick review. 
This will help expose more potential listeners to STEM. We really appreciate your support. I'm Bill Calkins, and you can always reach me by email at bcalkins at ballhort.com. B-C-A-L-K-I-N-S at B-A-L-L-H-O-R-T dot com or on Twitter at Bill Calkins. Be sure to follow Ball Seed on LinkedIn for tons of B2B content related to STEM topics, timely technical tips, plenty of those are offered by Dr. Will Healy himself, and more. And check out the show notes for links to even more content related to this episode, including a presentation you can use to train your team on the levels of watering. Let's end this episode with a quote from Lao Tzu, the father of Taoism. Nothing is softer or more flexible than water, yet nothing can resist it.